Chapter 21 The Story of a Mother Andaba en cierto, volaba errante, un solo instante sin descansar, alejos. Sisa ran in the direction of her home with her thoughts in that confused whirl which is produced in our being when, in the midst of misfortunes, protection and hope alike are gone. It is then that everything seems to grow dark around us, and if we do see some faint light shining from afar, we run toward it, we follow it, even though an abyss yawns in our path. The mother wanted to save her sons, and mothers do not ask about means when their children are concerned. Precipitately, she ran, pursued by fear and dark forebodings. Had they already arrested her son Basilio? Whether had her boy Crispin fled? As she approached her little hut, she made out above the garden fence the caps of two soldiers. It would be impossible to tell what her heart felt. She forgot everything. She was not ignorant of the boldness of those men who did not lower their gaze before even the richest people of the town. What would they do now to her and to her sons accused of theft? The civil guards are not men. They are civil guards. They do not listen to supplications and they are accustomed to see tears. Sisa instinctively raised her eyes toward the sky, that sky which smiled with brilliance indescribable and in whose transparent blue floated some fleecy clouds. She stopped to control the trembling that had seized her whole body. The soldiers were leaving the house and were alone, as they had arrested nothing more than the hen which Sisa had been fattening. She breathed more freely and took heart again. How good they are and what kind hearts they have, she murmured, almost weeping with joy. Had the soldiers burned her house but left her sons at liberty, she would have heaped blessings upon them. She again looked gratefully toward the sky through which a flock of herons, those light clouds in the skies of the Philippines, were cutting their path. And with restored confidence, she continued on her way. As she approached those fearful men, she threw her glances in every direction as if unconcerned and pretended not to see her hen, which was cackling for help. Scarcely had she passed them when she wanted to run, but prudence restrained her steps. She had not gone far when she heard herself called by an imperious voice. Shuddering, she pretended not to hear and continued on her way. They called her again, this time with a yell and an insulting epithet. She turned toward them, pale and trembling in spite of herself. One of them beckoned to her. Mechanically, Sisa approached them, her tongue paralyzed with fear and her throat parched. Tell us the truth or we'll tie you to that tree and shoot you, said one of them in a threatening tone. The woman stared at the tree. You're the mother of the thieves, aren't you? asked the other. Mother of the thieves, repeated Sisa mechanically. Where is the money your sons brought to you last night? Ah, the money. Don't deny it, or it'll be the worse for you, added the other. We've come to arrest your sons, and the older has escaped from us. 
Where have you hidden the younger? Upon hearing this, Sisa breathed more freely and answered, Sir, it has been many days since I've seen Crispin. I expected to see him this morning at the convento, but there they only told me. The two soldiers exchanged significant looks. All right, exclaimed one of them. Give us the money and we'll leave you alone. Sir, begged the unfortunate woman, my sons wouldn't steal even though they were starving, for we are used to that kind of suffering. Basilio didn't bring me a single cuarto. Search the whole house, and if you find even a real, do with us what you will. Not all of us poor folks are thieves. Well then, ordered the soldier coming slowly as he fixed his gaze on Caesar's eyes. Come with us. Your sons will show up and try to get rid of the money they stole. Come on. I go with you, murmured the woman as she stepped backward and gazed fearfully at their uniforms. And why not? Oh, have pity on me, she begged, almost on her knees. I'm very poor, so I've neither gold nor jewels to offer you. The only thing I had you've already taken, and that is the hen which I was thinking of selling. Take everything that you find in the house, but leave me here in peace. Leave me here to die. Go ahead, you've got to go, and if you don't move along willingly, we'll tie you. Sisa broke out into bitter weeping, but those men were inflexible. At least let me go ahead of you some distance, she begged, when she felt them take hold of her brutally and push her along. The soldiers seemed to be somewhat affected, and after whispering apart, one of them said, All right, since from here until we get into the town, you might be able to escape. You'll walk between us. Once there, you may walk ahead 20 paces, but take care that you don't delay and that you don't go into any shop. And don't stop. Go ahead, quickly. Vain were her supplications and arguments, useless her promises. The soldiers said that they had already compromised themselves by having conceded too much. Upon finding herself between them, she felt as if she would die of shame. No one indeed was coming along the road, but how about the air and the light of day? True shame encounters eyes everywhere. She covered her face with her panuelo and walked along blindly, weeping in silence at her disgrace. She had felt misery and knew what it was to be abandoned by everyone, even her own husband, but until now she had considered herself honored and respected. Up to this time, she had looked with compassion on those boldly dressed women whom the town knew as concubines of the soldiers. Now it seemed to her that she had fallen even a step lower than they in the social scale. The sound of hooves were heard, proceeding from a small train of men and women mounted on poor nags, each between two baskets hung over the back of his mount. It was a party carrying fish to the interior towns. Some of them, on passing her hut, had often asked for a quick drink of water and had presented her with some fishes. Now, as they passed her, they seemed to beat and trample upon her while their compassionate or disdainful looks penetrated through her panuelo and stung her face. When those travelers had finally passed, she sighed and raised the panuelo an instant to see how far she still was from the town. 
There yet remained a few telegraph poles to be passed before reaching the Bantayan, or little watch house, at the entrance to the town. Never had that distance seemed so great to her. Beside the road, there grew a leafy bamboo thicket in whose shade she had rested at other times, and where her lover had talked so sweetly as she helped her carry her basket of fruit and vegetables. Alas, all that was the past. Like a dream, the lover had become her husband in a cabeza de barangay, and then trouble had commenced to knock at her door. As the sun was beginning to shine hotly, the soldiers asked if she did not want to rest there. Thanks, no, was the horrified woman's answer. Real terror seized her when they neared the town. She threw her anguished gaze in all directions, but no refuge offered itself. Only wide rice fields, a small irrigating ditch, and some stunted trees. There was not a cliff or even a rock upon which she might dash herself into pieces. Now she had regretted that she had come so far with the soldiers. She longed for the deep river that flowed by her hut, whose high and rock-strewn banks would have offered such a sweet death. But again, the thought of her sons, especially of Crispin, of whose fate she was still ignorant, lightened the darkness of her night, and she was able to murmur resignedly, Afterwards we'll go live in the depths of the forest. Drying her eyes and trying to look calm, she turned to her guards and said in a low voice with an indefinable accent that was a complaint and a lament, a prayer and a reproach. Sorrow condensed into sound. Now we're in the town. Even the soldiers seemed touched as they answered her with a gesture. She struggled to affect a calm bearing while she went forward quickly. At that moment, the church bells began to peal out, announcing the end of High Mass. Sisa hurried her steps so as to avoid, if possible, meeting the people who were coming out but in vain, for no means offered to escape encountering them. With a bitter smile, she saluted two of her acquaintances, who merely turned inquiring glances upon her, so that to avoid further investigation, she fixed her gaze on the ground, and yet, strange to say, she stumbled over the stones in the road. Upon seeing her, people paused for a moment and conversed among themselves as they gazed at her, all of which she saw and felt in spite of her downcast eyes. She heard the shameless tones of a woman who asked from behind at the top of her voice, Where did you catch her? And the money? It was a woman without a tapis or tunic, dressed in a green and yellow skirt and a camisa of blue gauze, easily recognizable from her costume as a querida of the soldiery. Sisa felt as if she had received a slap in the face, for that woman had exposed her before the crowd. She raised her eyes for a moment to get her fill of scorn and hate, but saw the people far, far away. Yet she felt the chill of their stares and heard their whispers as she moved over the ground, almost without knowing that she touched it. And this way, a guard called out to her. Like an automation whose mechanism is breaking, she whirled out rapidly on her heels, then, without seeing or thinking of anything, ran to hide herself. 
She made out a door where a sentinel stood and tried to enter it. But a still more imperious voice called her aside. With wavering steps, she sought the direction of that voice, then felt herself pushed along by the shoulders. She shut her eyes, took a couple of steps, and, lacking further strength, let herself fall to the ground, first on her knees and then in a sitting posture. Dry and voiceless sobs shook her frame convulsively. Now she was in the barracks among the soldiers, women, hogs, and chickens. Some of the men were sewing at their clothes while their thighs furnished pillows for their queridas, who were reclining on benches, smoking and gazing wearily at the ceiling. Other women were helping some of the men clean their ornaments and arms, humming doubtful songs the while. It seems the chicks have escaped, for you brought only the old hen, commented one woman to the new arrivals. Whether alluding to Sisa or the still-clucking hen is not certain. Yes, the hen is always worth more than the chicks, Sisa herself answered when she observed that the soldiers were silent. Where is the sergeant? asked one of the guards in a disgusted tone. Has report been made to the Alferez yet? A general shrugging of shoulders was his answer, for no one was going to trouble himself inquiring upon the fate of a poor woman. There, Sisa spent two hours in a state of semi-idiocy, huddled in a corner with her head hidden in her arms and her hair falling down in disorder. At noon, the Alferez was informed, and the first thing that he did was to discredit the curate's accusation. Bah, tricks of that rascally friar, he commented as he ordered that the woman be released and that no one should pay any attention to the matter. If he wants to get back what he lost, let him ask St. Anthony or complain to the nuncio. Out with her. Consequently, Sisa was ejected from the barracks almost violently, as she did not try to remove herself. Finding herself in the street, she instinctively started to hurry toward her house, with her head bared, her hair disheveled, and her gaze fixed on the distant horizon. The sun burned in its zenith, with never a cloud to shade its flashing disk, and the wind shook the leaves of the trees lightly along the dry road, while no bird dared stir from the shade of their branches. At last, Sisa reached her hut and entered it in silence. She walked all about it and ran in and out for a time. At last, Sisa reached her hut and entered it in silence. She walked all about it and ran in and out for a time. Then she hurried to old Tasha's house and knocked at the door, but he was not at home. The unhappy woman then returned to her hut and began to call loudly for Basilio and Crispin, stopping every few minutes to listen attentively. Her voice came back as an echo, for the soft murmur of the water in the neighboring river and the rustling of the bamboo leaves were the only sounds that broke the stillness. She called again and again as she climbed the low cliffs, or went down to a gully or descended to the river. Her eyes rolled about with a sinister expression, now flashing up with brilliant gleams, now becoming obscured like the sky on a stormy night. It might be said that the light of reason was flickering and about to be extinguished.
Again, returning to her hut, she sat down on the mat where she had lain the night before. Raising her eyes, she saw a twisted remnant of Basilius Camisa at the end of the bamboo post in the ding-ding or wall that overlooked the precipice. She seized and examined it in the sunlight. There were bloodstains on it, but Sisa hardly saw them, for she went outside and continued to raise and lower it before her eyes to examine it in the burning sunlight. The light was failing and everything beginning to grow dark around her. She gazed wide-eyed and unblinkingly straight at the sun. Still wandering about here and there, crying and wailing, she would have frightened any listener, for her voice now uttered rare notes such as are not often produced in the human throat. In a night of roaring tempest, when the whirling sounds beat with invisible wings against the crowding shadows that ride upon it, if you should find yourself in a solitary and ruined building, you would hear moans and sighs which you might suppose to be the sowing of the wind as it beats on the high towers and moldering walls to fill you with terror and make you shudder in spite of yourself. As mournful as those unknown sounds of the dark night when the tempest roars were the accents of that mother. In this condition night came upon her. Perhaps heaven had granted some hours of sleep while the invisible wing of an angel brushing over her pallid countenance might wipe out sorrows from her memory. Perhaps such suffering was too great for weak human endurance and providence has interfered with its sweet remedy, forgetfulness. However that may be, the next day, Sisa wandered about smiling, singing, and talking with all creatures of wood and field.